to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Education. My name is Pete Wright, and I'm thrilled to introduce our guest on the show today. Jeff Shields serves as president and CEO of the National Business Officers Association, and he sat down with Howard on the eve of their annual meeting in San Diego. Their conversation centers on the change in the narrative in independent school education as so many have adjusted to the new normal, incorporating new models of tuition and financial management. What's more, he introduces Business Intelligence for Independent Schools, BIZ, a tool for NBOA member institutions and business officers to analyze an exhaustive range of financial data and turn it into meaningful information. And now I'll turn it over to Howard with Jeff Shields of NBOA. It is so great to see you, Jeff. Thank you for coming and being on the show again. This is like SNL. I think you're one of the people that have been on more than you and Mike Gower. Are the, are the Mike two Gower. high? You don't remember Mike Gower? Of course you know Mike Gower. I do from my Nakubo yeah. days, and that's good company to be in. So that's yes. terrific. I take that yeah. as a compliment. You're, We're the Alec Baldwins of your podcast. Or Steve Martin. You're either Alec Baldwin or, the or Steve, Steve Martin. Martin. You've got an exciting week ahead of you, both personal and professional. So we can dive into whatever you want. But next week is the annual meeting for NBOA, and we thought we would uh, – do a preview conversation. People will likely hear this after we uh, after we go through this next week. But I want to give you a chance to share what has been happening in your world, uh, really helping business officers in the independent school world uh, navigate the changes and some of the ways that NBOA is is serving this constituency. So tell us a little bit about next week and what's going to be happening. Next week, we are going to be riding the waves of change in San Diego uh, at the 2019 nice. MBOA annual meeting. We are welcoming, as as we've been true to form for the last several years, we're, we're going to be welcoming our largest uh, audience to the meeting, nice. which is exciting for us. And uh, we have great, great speakers lined up. We have Gabby Giffords and Mark Kelly kicking things off, which I just think is really exciting. They have such a powerful story to tell. You know, Gabby Giffords was the former congresswoman uh, that was a victim of gun violence. She happens to be married to an astronaut, you know, not not too much of a power couple, right? And right. and obviously, obviously, gun violence is something that all schools, but pre-K through 12 schools in particular, and certainly independent schools aren't immune from it. It's something that's top of mind. And having a daughter who's who's 12 years old, uh, almost 13, as you know, uh, and is in yes. the seventh grade. Uh, lockdown drills are are her fire drill. You know, is the fire drill of this generation um, to prepare for a lone shooter scenario. So, isn't that isn't that sobering to think about that that that's happens every sobering. day in schools across our country? So, and that's been it's been normalized in a certain way. But it's but it, but in the same ways, what you're doing is you're saying we need to find a way to to have conversation about this where even though it's normalized behavior, it's not normal, but we need to engage with this in a thoughtful way with the right attitude and moods. Yes, that's Gabby Giffords and Mark Kelly kicking things off. And and they're not there to make political speeches. What they're really there to talk about is uh, their their life story, um, how they overcome, you know, one of the most horrific circumstances I think any any um, any couple could encounter. Um, and they just have an exciting story to tell. And and I don't 
I don't get really kind of gushy and patriotic, but these are two really amazing Americans and they, they have such a great story together. And that's what they're going to be talking about overcoming adversity, um, you know, against, against all odds. And they're really going to talk to it from a human level. So very excited about that. But the overall theme, just so you know, is about change. And I'd say that that's something that, Obviously, it's constant. We all experience it. But I think that at this juncture for our schools, I think the change imperative is stronger than ever. Um, And so what we're going to try and do with our time together is continue to focus on succeeding, uh, overcoming obstacles in our opening speaker, um, really talking about what it's like to be a leader, not just to be a highly competent business officer and financial executive, but really being a leader at your school and what that means and and how they can innovate and engage their teams around thinking differently to address the challenges, which are many, but I like to remain optimistic. What you just described have been conversations out there, uh, you know, for the last 10 years, I've been hearing this this kind of focus about change and leadership and how do we move the needle and all of those. But but I think what's different is that the nature of what's happening in the world is getting people to pay more attention to that this is not something we can ignore. And in some ways, I'm curious to hear from you, what are you noticing are some of the shifts that are going on that are making this even more relevant topic, you know, where you cannot dismiss it, where you cannot say, you know, we're fine. I think we're at a, we're at a critical juncture at this point in education where there's so many alternatives that are beginning to pop up. The cost of the education, especially for the K-12 world, you just mentioned it to me before, before we went live, is talking about the fact that you're competing with free. So there is a wake-up call for business officers in your world to take a leadership stance with their heads. Say a little bit about what's shifting for you in the last couple of years that you're seeing that that this wake up call and this, you know, really taking this on in a different way, is it any different than it was or is it more of the same? I think it's I think it's different because I feel as though the activity is different. I don't think it's I don't think it's dialogue. I don't think it's long strategy sessions. I think I think that's part of it, but people are doing the work now. People are living uh, with the change they're trying to create, the positive impact they're trying to have. And I see it in a couple ways. I see yeah. schools really taking a look at their tuition models and really changing them. And that is not easy work to do. If you think about it, it's your, it's your number one revenue stream for your, for your organization. It, it could comprise maybe 70 or 80% of of the the dollars that you take in every year and do you know the level of risk that's involved with that when you start to change that model but right. schools are finding they don't have a choice they don't have a choice so they're employing index tuition they're taking a look at ways to um avoid sticker shock uh by being more aggressive with ways to provide additional support whether it's uh financial aid whether it's merit aid 
Um, they're taking a look at um, how can they do a better job of managing to uh, the real cost of what it takes to educate a child at their schools uh, in real dollars and, and figuring out ways that their tuition model can better better support that so they don't have to rely so heavily on fundraising and auxiliary services oh, and, and their endowment, this. those types of things. Well, you know, what's interesting is say a little bit about this BI tool that you guys are promoting in the dashboard and and what that is for for any of our listeners. Yes. So biz is our shorthand for business intelligence for independent schools. So B-I-I-S. Now, MBOA has been in the research space uh, for, for many, many years. But what we've done recently is we've taken disparate research initiatives and we've combined them into a singular platform, um, utilizing technology, allowing schools the opportunity uh, to uh, enter their data. Uh, we scrub it. We review it. And then they can use the data in ways that are, allow a lot more flexibility than just static reports that we previously issued. So that's the first thing. It's really it's a it's a data techno, uh, technology platform. But what I think is more most important is really a shift that MBOA is taking. And while uh, collecting data and benchmarking yourself against either a cohort group or against the entire community of schools can be valuable information. We're really focusing on reporting and analysis and tools that once you enter your data can be automated to be delivered to you and your school so you can have those strategic conversations that you nice. need to have. What does that look like? For us, it looks like a financial dashboard. So we distilled down what we think are the 12 key data points that any business officer should be tracking, should be sharing with their leadership team and their board of trustees, um, and they should be talking about. And for us, a dashboard, and as you know, doesn't answer every question. It raises the right questions, right? And so um, that's something that's completely automated, really worked hard to distill um, what are the data points, the fewest number of data points that give the biggest picture of a school's financial health in a snapshot in time? That's one thing. Second thing, and this might be interesting to your higher education listeners, is that uh, the Composite Financial Index, uh, which was developed by Phil Tahey, uh, who was with uh, KPMG, I think I'm going to get that right, with KPMG for 20 years, developed this tool that really helps a school get in under the hood. Um, and we have, with Phil's support and guidance uh, and a partnership that we developed with the National Association of Independent Schools, and I want to give them a shout out as well because it's really been the best partnership between NEIS and MBOA since during my tenure at least, and I'm really yeah. appreciative of that. We got together, and so this calculator is built into our platform so that schools can, again, they enter their data on the front end. That's great. Entering data isn't the thing. It's what you're doing with the data on the other side that's the thing. And so they can use this CFI calculator. I would recommend it for more sophisticated schools and more sophisticated boards who've spent some time understanding their finances to a, a, a to a pretty deep level. But these types of tools, that's, that's what we're interested in. The analysis to help solve problems, the analysis to drive decision-making, tools and resources that we can deliver to our schools and business officers so that uh, the schools can wrestle with these important questions. And they have the so right, uh, hopefully they have the right information to do so. 
beautiful. Who who has access to this? If you're a member of MBOA, you can use the tool. Is that how it works? For right now, right now, I mean, we're serving over 1,400 schools in the United States, uh, independent pre-K through 12 schools. So uh, it is a member benefit at this point in time. But um, we're we're relatively new in this space. It's a it's a relatively new offering that we've had. We've invested a lot. Uh, of time and resources, as you can imagine, in a, in a completely customized data collection platform. Uh, but right now, it's primarily, uh, it's only available, I, sh- I want to be honest, it's only available to member schools. But we're thinking about what, what access might look like going down the road. Well, I mean, what you do is you're, you're building it from the ground up. And you're building it with schools that that you have relationships with, and then this becomes a way to learn how it can be utilized to promote the kind of strategic conversations that you just said. I mean, this is the piece that I see also in higher ed, is that there's lots of conversation about how we want to be more strategic, but we don't know how to use data properly uh, as a as a means to augment the conversations, as opposed to people think this, you know, data decision um, versus data informed. Right, that that we're going to be data informed to be able to make decisions, as opposed that the the data actually drives the decision. No, you can't do it that way. In a, you're in a space right now that is, um, you know, that's that's not only ripe for change, but I think has the opportunity to figure out how you're going to continue to remain remain relevant. You know, no one wants to talk about survival like that's inspirational, right? surviving isn't inspirational. At the same time, thinking 10, 20 years down the road, what this industry is going to look like, the independent school world. I'm curious, as you take a longer term horizon, uh, how are we positioning leaders to be thinking around the longer term horizon? Because I'll tell you, one of my concerns, Jeff, is that Business leaders, uh, the business heads in, in independent schools, the cabinets and senior leadership teams, they are still so focused on putting out fires in the ne- next budget cycle. I don't think we have yet found ourselves having a good mechanism to think long term, to take a different kind of horizon because it doesn't – we don't see how we can affect that. And, and that's an area that I'm – investing much more of my time these days is helping people think in a longer term horizon and then backing into the short term, not for your strategic plan, but to recognize that that when we think longer term, there are disruptions that we can't anticipate and how do we engage in those conversations? How are you, NBOA and business officers, doing that in this space? Well, I think I think the reality is that you know our our market our market is under tremendous pressure. Schools are under tremendous tremendous pressure. Um, our, the market is arguably stagnant. Um, one could argue is is shrinking. Uh, you know, incrementally in terms of the number of students, you, you say shrinking in terms of the number of prospective students entering the space. I would say yes. I would. I would actually couch it as the number of families we're serving, uh, because I do think an independent school education f- serves families. Um, but I think it's the it, it, the concern is the number of families that consider mm. independent pre K through twelve education as a viable option for their son or daughter. That's mm. that's the concern. That market people who are even considering it is not the same market as it was 10 or obviously 20 years ago. Even 
even families that perhaps have the means to afford that education still may not be considering it. Five years ago, Grant Lickman and I were speaking together, and I remember him saying, you know, we've done a podcast with him, and he's been in your space forever, former head of school, traveled around the country in a Volkswagen bus or whatever. And I remember him saying five years ago or longer, maybe it was 10, so, that uh, the, the, the public market, is 80% as effective, he's, he's beginning to see, as our private. So how do we justify the differentiation? So now that was 10 years ago, I'm imagining that he would even say that they are even better today than they were then. So this differentiation uh, is such a critical conversation. And it's a hard one to get your arms around, Howard, because independent schools, public schools, it's not monolithic, right? It's market to market. It's community to community. So when you say they perform this way or they don't perform in this regard, um, it's really it's really hard to get your arms around it, particularly as a national organization. But but what we do know to be true is that. Um, and what I am observing, going back to really the original question, what's happening now around change that's so different is that our, our schools are very uh, much more inclined to focus on how do we open that funnel wider? How do we attract families into the process with the means to pay that are fit with our mission um, that can benefit from this education that understand its unique value. And I think, I think opening up that funnel wider, um, really, frankly, I have to be honest with you, and I'm an advocate, I'm a paid advocate in full disclosure. Yep. I think that's a good thing for everybody. I think it's good that families um, understand what's available through this option. I think it's good for families to know that there's support uh, should they choose to make this significant investment for their son or daughter. I think that's I think that's a good thing for everybody. It's good for our independent schools. It's good for the families we serve. And I think, um, you know, I, I use this uh, reference a lot. Uh, when I was uh, first came into this space, I was the youngest of six kids. My mom never thought about walking down the street to the private school and said, look, I have six kids. How can I send them to this school? It was never up for discussion. Never but option. the fact of yeah. the matter is, there's so there's more financial support than people believe is true, yeah. and um and that the investment I think I, I think the investment pays dividends that are are far greater than than what they perceive yeah. initially. So, and why this is so relevant, Jeff, especially for the people that you're serving in your association, is that they have a role to play that is way beyond balancing the budget. But I can tell you, I, I, I have worked in this industry long enough to see that the pressure is to balance the budget. The pressure is to, is to make sure that we have enough funds and to minimize expense. And I, and I work with a few business officers who really don't act like business officers, meaning they're advocating for more investment, for more spending, where the versus the majority of them advocate for less spending and because they see it as a risk in the short term. And it seems to me that one of the things that's so critical for your audience that you're serving is how do you help them 
uh, sort of broaden their sense of identity beyond the managers of the, the money. And I think this is we're, – we're still stuck in a very short-term thinking uh, and we have to keep putting that pressure to have that role be elevated. The head doesn't have the answer. The business officer has so much more data, but they need to use it in a way to promote change. People have to step up into that conversation. I, I absolutely do. And I honestly, I believe, I believe they have, I think, I think the environmental factors and I, I, I go back to this a lot, but I still think one of the tipping points for business officers in independent schools was the economic downturn in 2008 and 2009, where schools that were thriving in every way imaginable got caught flat footed in what was happening in the environment. Heads of schools realized they didn't know enough about their own their own organization's business model as much as they should have or could have. And trustees demanded that heads of schools and business officers have got to work more closely together so this doesn't so this doesn't catch us off guard again. I think that was a tipping point for independent school business officers in this profession and for MBOA, frankly. Because MBOA, um, at that time, for the last 10 years, we've seen tremendous growth in organization participation, et cetera, et cetera. So I think oh, yeah. there's been this, this synergy around uh, uh, environmental factors, demand from school leadership, and, and MBOA, you know, pedaling as fast as we can to fulfill those needs. So I think that was, that was the game changer. And I think the net, but this, now we're in a new one. I think the role of the business officer has been elevated. I think it, I think for the last 10 years, I think, I think heads of schools and business officers, and I think schools that have been successful navigating the impact of the 2009 economic downturn, I think they realized it was a partnership. I think they realized that, um, business officers were far more than uh, just the accounting, finance, and tax managers for the school. I think they did realize the, the yes. acumen yes. they had around data, and that could be helpful. Business officers but, have but, long but, had the most exposure to governance. I Go agree, ahead. but that's, that's different from being empowered to, be, to step into being that kind of leader. I've talked to enough business officers that, that one of the dilemmas they have is how far can they step out in front of their head, right? How far, how, how much are they able to actually be a driver of change in also in collaborating with their senior team where everyone on the senior team has a different view of what change looks like. So I think a lot of this has to do with learning how to be in conversation with each other and to drive a shared conversation about where you want to go. And I don't think that's as easy. I know it's not as easy as it looks, even with your own senior team, getting everybody to like rowing in the same direction. That is the, that's, that to me is the critical next step is how do we effectively coordinate together in a way that we've never been in the past? Well, let, so let me, let me say two things about that. The first thing is that, number one, I would never advocate, and I know you didn't mean this, but I would never advocate for business officers to step out ahead of or in front of heads of schools because that's how you lose your job. Exactly. But let me make clear for, clarify what I meant. I think there's a concern that th there's a reticence to, to take something on because of the fear of stepping out ahead, right? Perception, yeah. But you really have to know your head well enough and have the kind of trust that you can actually have per give yourself permission to push the envelope, to try new things 
because I think this is what most heads want. They want, and, and I think a lot of what you're, what you're, I think, advocating for is how do we empower these leaders, um, especially if you're new at a school, right? If you're a new business officer at a school, you're likely going to take your first year to learn the ropes of the relationships, and you've got this window that you got to put something in place. So, so I think there's an opportunity. To raise and, and raising the bar means something different for everybody. But in general, what I've seen, Jeff, over the years, the shift that's happening is a greater awareness, but that needs to chance translate into from awareness to new behavior. And the new behavior is like undoing a certain kind of behavior that we've fallen into, which is often waiting to be told and get permission and the board feeling good about it. Right, I, I I think we I think that there's a there's an element of learning how to take calculated risk, and risk and fear of failure. Right, being willing to to actually face the risk of failure. That's part of the conversation. And I'm sure it's going to come out at the annual meeting. That will be part of the dialogue that you're trying to help people engage in. Well, that was that was my point around uh, the tuition models and taking your highest yes. revenue stream. And you start tinkering with it. Now, if that doesn't take a team effort and trust, I, I, I don't know what else did does. And that's what's happening. Yeah. So I would that's say awesome. maybe, it, you know, it's, it's, is it a hundred percent? No. Um, but we'll, we'll keep pushing in that direction. But I, I will, I will share an observation that the schools that are getting in front of change that are, that are harnessing the, actually better than getting in front that are creating the change they want to see happen are able to do so because they have strong partnership between the head of school, the business officer, other key members of the school leadership team Absolutely. and their board of trustees and they're and they're discussing the right things in the right way and and they're moving forward. And then and, there's the other side, which is those that haven't been leveraging that, right? What do you think are some of the impediments? for the schools that are not leveraging uh, being able to create that kind of leadership partnership, uh, engaging their, 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 their teachers and their principals and so on, uh, and starting to move the needle in the change conversation. Where, where do you see the impediments showing up there? Well, I think you named one. I think fear. I think, um, you know, when you're dealing with a large population, many of whom have been doing this work for a long time and they've been successful, you know what that looks like. And you and you go into the room and you say, today we're going to talk about how we're going to change or how we're going to innovate. And they just see it as more work. And in some respects, they see it as, right. you know, more more work. And I'm not sure the outcomes there is the fear. And moreover, I don't have time. I'm already giving everything I have. And then I would punctuate it with, and, and where are the resources, whether, and time is a resource, but where are the financial resources to do or think or perform differently? So those are real constraints. And that's where the business officer, see, you know, you know, people often say that they don't have enough resources uh, or, or enough people, right? I think that's an excuse because the truth is, Often you put more people in place, you have more problems because you have more challenges associated with coordination. That's what I'm seeing more as the impediment to acceleration is not that we don't have 
uh, good ideas, but we don't know how to be in conversation with each other that then produces the coordination conversation. But there's competencies in that 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 teams don't even have that they need to practice. You know, it's interesting because when I ask you the question about who's not doing it, in many ways, you're, you're, you're often speaking to the choir. The people that show up at your annual meeting are people who have bought into the idea that we need to change. Right. So that's the good news. The thing I can I think about that a lot, Howard. I do yeah. think about that. Do does someone in my role, do I only get exposed or do people only come up and share and they only seek me out because the they news. they think they have something hot and new to share and so then that starts to color my perception about what's what's happening in in oh. the uh, community. But we do have some good we did just pull some data from biz and we have some good themes um, that we've seen awesome. over the twenty seventeen eighteen data that are worth uh, keeping an eye on and looking at whether it's net tuition revenue going up, increased fundraising, um, or more expendable financial resources for schools yeah. to do some of the things you're talking about. And you know, and when I hear you say to give those examples, the relevance for me of those examples has more to do with creating a certain kind of optimism and a certain kind of positivity, right? So that people, so because the alternative, Jeff, and this is out there that we're, you and I are always funny against, is the resignation and skepticism that people fall into. And then they put their head down, they do their best job, but really they don't see that the change really is possible. So, so, so much of this is getting people out of a mood of, I don't think this could happen, to a mood of maybe we we can make this happen. Howard, I was invited to speak at the Virginia Association of Independent Schools Heads Conference uh, uh, just a few weeks ago. And boy, have they, they gave me more than I could ever give them because the theme of their meeting was leading with optimism. And I was their first speaker that morning. And they said, we don't want to talk about the doom and gloom scenarios. We don't want to talk about the pressures. We don't want to talk about the problems. We want to talk about how can we, and these are heads of schools, how can we lead with optimism? How, where, how can we harness positivity? How can we uh, communicate a vision that's compelling and exciting? And it really, it really made me think about what that means from a business finance and operational perspective. And where I landed was, was that I don't want to be Pollyanna about the real challenges that are out there. But I think for me, leading with optimism was not just identifying the issues, but also uh, acquiring the knowledge or the resource tools or people to address them. I think there's a lot of optimism in that it doesn't yeah. it doesn't negate the real issues that we have to deal with but but you and i agree managing the status quo to what end um uh, retreating uh or or throwing your hands up and feeling helpless that doesn't feel like leadership it doesn't sound like leadership so 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 you really have to you really have to think about um so what are you going to do about it you know what are you going to do about it those problems are real, but See, what are you going to do? And, and I think that's where we're trying that, to do it in BOA. And that's what I, that what I like about what you're saying is, to me, you just made a distinction between the difference between good optimism and bad optimism. Bad optimism is fundamentally a, a view about something that doesn't lead to any action, that doesn't lead to any change, doesn't lead to being resolute, right? If the orientation is 
we're going to promote what's possible, that we're going to open possibilities for people, that creates a mood of, you know what? Here's, here's the actions we can take to move this forward. So ultimately, what we're, what, we're, what we're attempting to do is get people to a place where they see that something's possible. That's, and, and in our culture, we call that optimism. But I think a lot of optimism doesn't lead to the kind of action that's necessary. And that's, that's the shift, right? We don't just want people feeling good. I've led more workshops and keynote addresses where I can get people to feel good for 10 minutes, for 10 minutes. And then they go back and fall back into their old. So, so the question that has more to do with, from my point of view, is how do we get them to actually sustain that kind of positivity and have it affect others to then take the action they need to take? And that's what we're fighting against all the time because we can so easily fall back into those moods of skepticism. But you know what's interesting, especially as we're on the, the eve of the MBOA annual meeting, that first of all, those types of connections among people who have shared challenges and perhaps can share solutions does, does create a feeling of optimism. But what I always try and highlight is this national brain trust. Think about the acquisitions that get made or can be made when you have all of these people uh, in a room, in a community that's very collegial and is so collaborative. And so for me, the optimism is understanding the challenge, but, but acquiring that knowledge, taking that yeah. next step. What do I need to know? Whether it's through data, uh, whether it's through people, um, or whether it's identifying a solution, a, a school down, a school that you're aware of that changed uh, to an index tuition model, and it changed the the future trajectory of their school. I mean, that's what I think leading with optimism is. And and the National Brain Trust you talked about, as you just described that, what that provoked for me is that the work is ultimately about mobilizing our small communities and larger communities to begin to take action. And then others begin to see not only that it's safe, but that actually we can't produce this change. And I know that's where you come from. That's, that's who you've been ever since I met you. And you still have that energy and you look, you're still smiling. You, it's amazing. You have not been beaten down yet. You know what? You know, I feel very fortunate. I, I don't want to get all, you know, syrupy on you. But, I mean, I, I love education. I always have. I, I love being associated uh, with with this community. I think you do, too, whether it's higher ed or, or pre-K through 12. I mean, talk about, uh, talk about touching uh, something that feels positive, that feels like it's giving back and it's making a difference, right? I mean, what... I don't know if I don't know if there's anything else I, that I could possibly feel that way about other other than education. I work with a fantastic membership of smart, good people. I've said that since day one. Um, I feel very fortunate about that. But I have to say, the high why I'm still smiling after all this all this time. The high when you see all these people together um, in one space. And, yeah. and I don't know if they can even observe it. I get to step, you know, I, I take one step back from it and I have that opportunity, but to see that, that energy and, and, and the feelings, um, and, and how that all happens, you know, you know, I was in this profession long enough to know where they said face-to-face -face meetings were going to go away, where, where we thought webinars and online learning and 
all of that and 9-11, no one, were, no one was going to get on a plane anymore and go to face-to-face meetings. And boy, uh, did some prognosticators call that one wrong because I think uh, face-to-face meetings have, have um, drawn out people even more because, because of the, the ubiquity of online learning like we're doing right now through this podcast, which I think is great, but it augmented learning. It didn't displace it. Didn't displace it. it opened up the channels, right? And the different opportunities, but it didn't displace that face-to-face yeah. connection. Anyway, I, I'm on you, a soapbox, but, but I, I, it doesn't, that excites hug. me and it's a high. You're right. This, I think the face-to-face is an antidote to something that we're all suffering from, which is the, the way that we have lost sort of the, the, the capacity to be in conversation because of texting and email and all that. So, so it makes perfect sense to me, Jeff, that People are starving for this kind of connection, and and you have an industry where that's you would have thought that it would go away, but you still have to be offering something in the end that's building on that, which I think you guys do. I think they embrace it because they know how special it is. They know it, it's 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 um, only increased in value because it's so special that human connection. It's so special that eye to eye contact that you now have in face to face meetings. So I think the value has actually gone yeah. up. Uh, but you're right. And you're very smart because when you step outside your door right now, you have to put on a decent, heavy coat. You're very smart about where you pick these. Where, where are you doing this thing? This is San Diego. <laughs> very nice. We're doing we're doing a tour of the South. Uh, yeah, I we're going to be in San Diego, and then we're going Beautiful. to Orlando next year. So we're taking yeah, it toward the South. But as I've told my staff, there's a number of um, outstanding, more than a number, outstanding uh, pre-K through 12 independent schools in the North, and we're going to have to go back north eventually and so you'll eventually. see us take a northern tour after Beautiful. orlando so well hopefully in october of next year i can come with you i couldn't even come to this one if you because my son just turned 21 and we're celebrating his birthday with his older brother in chicago this because you remember when my kids were born it's crazy we've known each other that long so we're going to Chicago. That's a milestone. Week. It's a huge milestone. I have my milestone coming up. So I decided to put my daughter's bat mitzvah right in front of the MBA annual meeting because I wanted to have all <laughs> that fun in one in one weekend, right? I want to cram it all in to make it the most memorable weekend of my life, and I know it will be. We are going to make available uh, on our website the not only this but you know links to what you guys are doing a link to your uh you know so an overview of this uh, business intelligence tool that your members have access to and um it just i gotta tell you it just it's it's what i'm always inspired by by you jeff is that you always bring the kind of energy that people like being around so i know your program is going to be fantastic can i make one more point about the business intelligence piece though that i think is is really important absolutely other than just building this platform we've invested a lot of time and energy into providing resources around these reporting tools so don't just run the financial dashboard report take a look at the reference guide that we've built around it take a look at the tutorials and you'll hear from seasoned business officers about how this how to use this effectively at your school why this matters what what potential responses there are to certain trends that you'd be observing and i think as you know and you know howard it probably has come out of your mouth context is so important right 
context is everything. And so we're trying to, and we're just in the beginning, but we're trying to create context around these tools so that they are real for business officers and so that they can access their own leadership and, and, and have the impact that we desire for these tools and resources to have at their schools. It's a very, very important tool to start to mobilize the kind of conversations that leaders want to have and they don't not have. So I, we're going to, I highly encourage people to check this out uh, on our site. You can just click on it and then, uh, and go right to NBOA. Jeff, privilege again to be with you. Virtual hug. Have a great conference. And we will uh, and and great bat mitzvah, you know, Mazel Tov, the whole the whole Megillah, all of that. Can I just can I just pay you one compliment? Honestly, sure. is that you you have this such a unique knack of of your you I find you to be so smart and so um, uh, provide such great insight. And not only that, you bring it out in others, and I really appreciate that about our conversations. You you do you have you possess it yourself, but you bring it out in others, and I think that's why you're so good at this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you with that. That's very nice. Thank you very much, Jeff. So uh, have a great conference, and we will uh, we will absolutely stay in touch. And uh, thank you for joining us on this week's program. Thanks, everybody, for downloading and listening to the show. Head over to TybalInc.com to learn more about our work in education. You can subscribe to the show for free. Just click the blue button, and we'll send you an email each time a new episode is released. If you like what you heard today, please share with a friend or colleague who you think might appreciate a new podcast in their own library. And you can always leave us a kind review in Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Thank you so much. On behalf of Howard Tybal, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next time right here on Navigating Change, the podcast from Tidal Education.